Welcome to IT Visionaries, created by The Mission, your number one source for accelerated learning. In this episode of IT Visionaries, Ian chats with Tony Bradley, the editor-in-chief at Techspective and a regular contributor to Forbes, DevOps.com, and Container Journal. They discuss the rise of mobile, building internal apps for your employees, and how to upgrade your company's cybersecurity. Enjoy. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. The Lightning Platform is a leading cloud platform that makes building AI-powered apps faster and easier. With Salesforce, now everyone is empowered to build apps for their organization. Learn more at salesforce.com slash buildapps. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. Today, on the other end of the phone, we have Tony Bradley. What's going on, Tony? Nothing much. Thank you for having me. So you, much like us here at The Mission, have a background in some writing and media, and we wanted to have you on to talk about mobile and all things Techspective, which is also the name of your amazing website that has all things tech-related. Can you share a little bit about your background? So I initially got into IT just as a IT support, kind of became a network administrator, got into doing Windows admin stuff around 2000-ish. Someone came along and said uh, they needed someone who understood Windows to be on their security team. And that was kind of when security was semi-new, but I was like, all right, well, that's cool. I'll do that. And so I jumped from the you know network admin side to the security side and got my CISSP certification. Um, and I spent a number of years doing you know, security analyst, security consulting type stuff. But around that same time, I also started writing on the side. I was doing the about.com site for internet and network security. And I didn't plan on that actually being a thing from like a career perspective or even an income perspective. I thought it would just be like resume fodder. Like I'd be able to go to my boss and say, hey, look, I'm internet famous, so you should give me more money. Uh, <laughs> and, but that, that kind of, it, it just kept going, you know, so like that, that really kind of opened up a lot of connections with vendors, with IT professionals and IT security professionals. And it really allowed me to, to, you know, really expand my network. And, you know, ultimately I ended up writing for a number of other sites. I was writing for PC World. I was writing for CSO. I authored or co-authored 10 or 12 books. And, and at some point I dropped the security consulting side and just kind of went full time into the, the tech writing and, 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 and security writing side of things. And so that, that's around when I launched techspective.net, which is again, my website. And then I'm also still uh, a contributing writer at Forbes and I write for devops.com and containerjournal.com and, and still do other, you know, freelance content marketing projects on the side and, and stuff like that. So I, uh, I, I try to keep busy. My keyboard gets a lot of use. Yeah. And so it's, you know, hopefully fun for our listeners. Like you've probably read Tony's work at some point in the last couple of years. And, you know, you've written about a number of different kind of categories and trends and technologies within kind of that tech ecosystem, touching on cybersecurity, touching on a lot of different stuff. But you also have a day job as senior manager of content marketing at AlertLogic. That's correct. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I, after 
when I first kind of got out of security and went full-time writing, I did that just solo for seven or eight years. And, uh, and then a friend of mine kind of pulled me back into the uh, corporate side of things. You know, it, 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 it's good. I mean, I'm doing the blog there and I'm doing social media there. So it's really just kind of taking all of the things that I kind of built up as, you know, Tony Bradley Inc. And, you know, and applying that for alert logic as well. So, you know, the, the two things play well together. Let's talk mobile. So what are the things that you've seen across, let's just say the last five years as this change and rise of, of mobile has, you know, started and now is kind of the full-fledged takeover here. What are the things that you're seeing? What are those trends that are going to be really important for CIOs and IT leaders going forward? Well, uh, I guess I would start with saying I have kind of a conflicting response to that because, you know, obviously mobile devices have, have exploded, you know, if you go you know, five years and definitely if you go over 10 years, you know, where everyone's got a smartphone, you know, everyone, you know, pretty much everyone's got a tablet. And in a lot of cases, that has become the primary computing device. Now, where I would kind of step back and reverse that is I think that like the commercial that Apple had been running for the iPad Pro or whatever, where they, you know, try to say that it's not a computer. What's a computer? Yeah. Right. Yeah, the yeah. whole what's a computer. And I was like, okay, well that now, now I think you've gone a little too far. I mean, I think we all understand that that's just a different form of computer. And on the one hand, it's just a different form of computer. And on the other hand, there's a whole lot it can't do. Um, I mean, so I love my iPhone and I love the iPad, but you know, I also really, really love my surface book. So, <laughs> and I'm, you know, so I'm still, uh, you know, hardcore, I'm going to use my PC for a lot of things. In fact, my, my wife is much more on the mobile side because she can just, she could live her whole life through the iPhone and she'll send me a link to something and say, Hey, you know, can you look at this or whatever? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go pull this up on my computer <laughs> because I don't, I don't want to try to like deal with a, a mobile website. Oh, totally. And not only that, I mean, you know, like our thumbs, our poor little thumbs are, subjected to things that, you know, 100,000 years of uh, being a human being, we've never had to deal with. So I, I think that there's other ramifications beyond just like, when is that crossover point between, okay, this email's too long, I just actually need to save it as a draft and get onto my actual computer. Right. Well, and and I mean, I, I maximize the use of the autocorrect when it comes to typing on, on a mobile device, because I just kind of like mash my thumbs around and you know, letters appear that are, have nothing to do with what I'm actually thinking. And somehow Siri magically figures it all out for me most of the time, you know, sometimes you have to double check it, but yeah. I, so, so it, to go back to your question, I mean, yes, it's exploded. It's definitely the trend. It's definitely the future. Uh, I'm not sure that I would call a time of death on, on the PC anytime soon, but that said, I think that all companies, whether you're talking about building a customer facing app or an internal app for employees, I think it's important to have the app and not expect people to use a mobile website. It's just, it's a, it's a vastly different experience. I don't know if you recall, but like Facebook was kind of slow to get on the bandwagon with the app and, and LinkedIn was too, where they thought, well, no, we've got, we've got the website, your tablet or your smartphone has a browser just go to the website. And even back then, you know, five, six years ago, I was 
you know, pushing against that and saying, yes, my, my mobile device has a browser and I can technically get to LinkedIn or technically I can get to Facebook, but that's not the same. It's not even like remotely the same. And, and the app is, is so much better, but well, two things. And I, I don't want to, and, and you can feel free to jump in anytime, but two, but two things. Number one, I would say as evidence of the explosion of mobile, look at the number of companies, billion dollar companies that wouldn't exist if it weren't for mobile devices. You know, the things that have like sprung up purely out of iOS or whatever, you know, things, you know, things like Instagram or Pinterest or whatever that are companies that were basically spawned by mobile devices and have become, you know, juggernauts of their own. And so there's, there's just, there's a lot of momentum there. I think the thing that we've kind of like seen happen is this rise of people who are like the app builders, like the people who are building mobile apps for consumer use that are focused on, you know, building the next big hit app. I mean, this is actually an interesting anecdote. We were talking to someone who is an SEO, head of SEO at a, we'll say a, one of the companies that, that manages like on-demand food delivery. And this was not on the podcast. So this is behind the scenes. And they were saying that they had up to this point done zero SEO, like zero. And they were like, our website is so bad that I forget the exact thing, but basically they didn't have an, oh, they didn't, I don't think they could do like email subscribers or something like that for their website. Basically like the most simple thing you could possibly do. They didn't have, or what, they didn't have like an autoresponder email or something like that. And they said that the entire company, I mean, I forgot how many downloads they've done. I, I think like, you know, well over the tens of millions of downloads for this app. And there's just, their entire company had never focused on their website at all. And they just built for the app. But then it was kind of like at this point where there was a large percentage of people that they wanted to get, you know, into using the app. But that company was just, it was built as an app. It was built like app first. And I think we're starting to see some of the companies that are the B2B companies that had never had a need to build an app because they're like, well, you know, we have these types of sales funnels and there's really no need to communicate with our customers in this way. And, you know, we can just use email and all these other things that are starting to realize like, well, this is how people would just rather have day-to-day -day business or operations run through this one specific thing. I mean, is that a fair kind of assessment? Yeah, I think so. And, and like you just pointed out, I mean, there's, there's kind of both ends of that spectrum. And so like to go back to what I was saying, I mean, Instagram is, stands out to me as an, as an app. It was an app first approach. And, and even now it's like, yes, you can go to Instagram.com and you can go on the website and there's some rudimentary functionality, but it's really kind of clunky and it's just not, it's not designed for that. And you know, that wasn't their focus. And then like, say you go to the other side of it where you might have a, a business that, you know, maybe they've done okay with their, with, with the website, but now they've got to kind of catch up with the times, so to speak, and take a look at, well, what are the advantages of doing it of interacting with customers or interacting with employees through an app, as opposed to expecting someone to try to use a mobile website. Well, and, and I would say that the question that we see is the, yeah, but I'm a cybersecurity company. Why would I need 
to build an app for my customers or I'm a blank, uh, you know, I'm a automotive company or, or whatever it is. Like why do, why do those companies, how does it expand their customer experience? How does it, uh, or employee experience, which is kind of the other end of that, but how does it, how does building those apps, like why, like, why does this matter? Like, is this one of the things where, you know, are you going to get completely left behind if you don't have that type of communication? Because kind of where I, where I, where I see this is like, there is that tipping point where you go from, okay, I'm, I'm using it. I'm using this app on the go. It's super helpful. I can do it in short bursts, but when I want to do deep work, I need to be sitting down in front of a laptop. Those are, it's almost completely different use cases where it's like, you can't have either or anymore. You have to have both and specifically for B2B. Well, but so to, to kind of, to, to answer your question, I think not every company needs to have a mobile app. I would start there and say, you know, it, it, it's sort of like, if you remember the beginning of the dot-com boom, where like, you know, first companies started getting websites, and then all of a sudden it became this thing where like everyone, all you had to have a domain, you had to have a website. But eventually I think some companies kind of stepped back and said, well, do we, like, who are we trying to, you know, what's the goal of the website? Who are we trying to reach? And so if you're, if you're looking at, like you said, like an auto, like an automotive supplier or a, you know, whatever, and you're trying to say, you're trying to, to determine, do I need to develop a mobile app? I think the start of that, the answer to that question is, are you expecting people to do something else on their on their mobile device? If your business is such that there wouldn't be any reason for someone to like pull out their smartphone and try to go to your website and do business with you, then you probably don't need a mobile app. But if there's any function or any interaction with your company on the mobile device level, then yes, I think it, it's worth it's worth looking at. But but I don't think you want to just build a mobile app for the sake of building a mobile app because then it becomes administrative and potential security headache of making sure that it's updated. Because you know if you're going to have it, it's got to be good. Otherwise, you're you're making yourself look bad. You know, just like with a website, you don't want to have a crappy website. Yeah, I mean, I, I would push back a little bit on on the idea. You know, like it's I definitely. I wouldn't say that, you know, like everybody, like wave the magic wand, everybody needs, everybody needs to have an app. But I would say from a customer experience standpoint, like there's something to be said for the thing that's sitting in your pocket that has little, you know, if it's a, if it's an iPhone or whatever, the little buckets that you can put thick in your, your work bucket. And you know that a specific vendor or a specific place has one one place that you can go that the answers are going to be in there. And it could be the answers of immediately talking to someone for customer service. It could be immediately being able to message your particular sales rep with a question. It could be looking at a dashboard. It could be getting, you know, like up-to-date information or future product launches or, or whatever that thing is. I mean, I think that there are so many use cases for it because it's such a simple, there's such a simple like we're going into this culture where we're so app based in, you know, the, the idea of crawling through your email to find something is just sounds so awful. At this point, we all are just so inundated with different things where it's like, it would be kind of nice to just tap in and say, oh, this is, this is where that stuff lives. So, I mean, I, yeah, I kind of, I, I see your point where it's like, you know, you don't want to just say that everybody, you know, maybe everybody doesn't need them. But, but the other side of that is like, maybe everybody does, like maybe that is what it looks like in 10 years. Maybe. I mean, and, and again, I think it's like, it's sort of like the beginning of the dot com, you know, with, with buying domains where it's like, you know, because like, like you just said, if I need something from a vendor, 
looking in the app store for an app is probably my first stop. You know, like before, you know, before I would like try to do things a, a different way, I would probably go, well, do they have an app? And so, you know, right there, you do kind of draw some like where your, your company might be falling behind or your, or your competition has a strategic advantage if they have an app, because that's the way people want to interact. And I mean, you know, five years ago, it wouldn't have occurred to me that I needed to have an app for my grocery store or an app for, you know, even like Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever, but I use those apps all the time. Yeah, um, because right. now when I walk into the store, it's an efficiency thing. If I if I walk into something, especially something the size of Home Depot or Lowe's, and I'm like, okay, well, all I need is this, you know, number six screw that's two and a half inches long. You know, where do I find that? And instead of walking around the entire warehouse or trying to like read all the aisles, I just pull it up in the app and it says, hey, go to aisle twelve, bay six, and I'm like, all right, cool. You know, I'm good. And uh, you know, and, and making sure that they even have it in stock and you know all those things that like just really kind of are convenience for me and simplify my life and, and make it easier for me to do business with them. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great, it's a great point where it's like, if it, if it eliminates barriers to, or friction, then it's helpful. If it adds friction, then, then it's not. Do you think that that changes for mobile experiences for employees, like internally? I mean, I think that this is one of those really interesting use cases that I don't think you know, we, we saw coming as, as much as, you know, as soon as the kind of initial apps started coming out that it's like, man, we could actually just build our own like host of applications for our company that our employees can opt into and use. How do you kind of see mobile experiences change for how companies can build apps specifically for their own employees? Well, I think there's a lot of, you know, lessons to be learned from the way companies deal with consumers. I mean, basically, if you're if you're building an app for your employees, then, you know, the employee is the customer. I think you have to look at it from that perspective and try to look at it from what do they want? What, what are they going to be trying to accomplish? And like you just said, how can I reduce instead of increase the friction to allow that to happen? To go back to something you said earlier about the different buckets. I mean, you know, like, like everyone else, I mean, on my phone, I've got, you know, the entertainment folder and the productivity folder. And, you know, I kind of have my apps separated out that way. And I have a folder for work and it's got various apps, but, you know, I've got, I've got the app for ADP mobile so I can go in and request days off or I can check out, you know, what, what my pay stub looks like this week, make sure all the, all the math is correct. You know, I've got, apps for filing expenses, that's one of the biggest time savers, in my opinion, for, for anyone who's in a, in a role where you're traveling or you're filing expenses on a regular basis. I mean, that's always been such a headache to like sift through the receipts and try to scan them and, and do all these things and, and enter all the information. And the apps that they have now for that are amazing. I mean, you basically just take a picture of the receipt and it fills in all the information and you hit send and you're done. I mean, so that's, that's a huge time saver for for people. Yeah, there was, I forget the company, it was someone we talked to where they had an employee, like a citizen developer that built one of those for their company that like the entire company in, implemented, which was like, it was like a, like, I forget the size, but it's like 5,000 person company. Like it was a pretty big company and someone, they did like a hackathon and somebody was just like, you know, the classic, you know, buyer build sort of thing. Pretty amazing stuff. But no, it's, it's those like painting, huge pains that internal employees have, which really just boil down to time. Like how much 
time can you save your employees? Like the most important metric. I mean, it's really all of our most important metrics, but the most important thing that you can do. And for a lot of these applications, like it's the automation of old things that used to be an HR function or an IT function or a finance function or something that just now is can be completely automated and nobody ever has to touch it. Or not nobody, but a lot less. Well, and, and so there's the whole, you know, you, you have on the one hand, the shadow IT movement, which is, you know, basically people just going off and doing their own thing, setting up their own server, signing up for Dropbox, even though it's not you know, company sanctioned or whatever, just because, I mean, ultimately employees are going to try to find the ways to streamline their own lives and their own jobs. And so, you know, if you just say, well, hey, Bob, I need you to accomplish this goal, but the tools the company has provided make that difficult. Uh, again, add, add friction instead of remo- reduce friction. And then Bob looks at it and says, okay, but I can use what I do know about how to solve this problem, I can build my own solution or I can find a third party solution that, you know, is outside of, uh, you know, basically an unauthorized solution outside of the purview of IT to make things happen. But ultimately it's like, you know, the, the end user is the one that truly understands what is trying to be accomplished and how to do that in a way that is best for them. And so I think, that's why you've seen this sort of big shift as we went from the kind of the old school IT of a much more dictatorial perspective of, I'm going to tell you, you are going to use this laptop. It's going to have this configuration. This, you know, this is what you're going to do with it to the BYOD, uh, you know, bring your own device movement where everyone you know now has their own smartphone and their own tablet. And then, you know, now you have kind of like, almost a bring your own technology perspective of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to bring all of my own stuff, but you know, IT has had to like kind of adapt to that and, and to the change from, I have these kind of draconian policies in place and I have total control to, okay, now how do I give employees the freedom to do what they want to do or work with them, you know, cooperate with them and collaborate with them to develop the things they need without compromising, you know, my ability to manage IT as a whole. Totally. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that that, like, what are some things that you've seen that help with the governance of that type of, you know, shadow IT and bringing those things together? Like what are some best practices that, that CIOs or CTOs or, or IT professionals have used to kind of say like, let me get my hands around this population of people who are finding unique solutions to all of this and embracing that? Well, the biggest thing I think is just cultural. It's just making sure that employees that, you know, the, the, the understanding that the employees are your customer and making sure that they're aware that you're there to help and being open enough to have a conversation about, you know, what it is that's trying to be accomplished. What are the suggestions from the employee about what's the best way to accomplish that? And then finding a way to work together to do that or, or at least have a rational conversation about, you know, maybe some of the business reasons or, you know, security reasons why, that can't be done or why it needs to be done differently. 
it's just getting away from the sort of default no, you know, just saying no or, or you know, having this culture where people feel like they have to go behind your back to get things done. Um, so you, you need to be open enough to be involved in that conversation in the first place. But the flip side of that is you also do need to have some kind of tools in place from a like network scanning and visibility perspective that lets you see, you know, what are all of the devices that are connecting to my network? What are all of the applications, the services, the containers? Because and people are going to continue to do things without approval. And, you know, and it, it's going to vary from company to company how sort of draconian you want to be in trying to enforce that or, or fight against that. But whether you fight it or not, you at least need to be aware of it. Otherwise, you're just exposed to risk that you're not even, you don't even know about. So on the one hand, you need to be open and have a culture where employees feel comfortable coming to you and, and, and you're there to facilitate getting things done and not just get in the way. And then on the other hand, you do still need to like scan and monitor and know what's going on in your network. Switching gears to some of the, you know, cybersecurity issues that you've seen, you know, you've, you've written about cybersecurity a ton and can you kind of share like a little bit more in depth on, uh, you, you wrote an article about five key benefits of upgrading your, your company's cybersecurity. And I'll just kind of re like rehash those pretty quick here. You know, it gives you peace of mind. It helps you build buyer confidence. It increases search engine rankings. You get higher conversions and, uh, and more flexibility with freelancers. Um, and we'll link up the the article in the show notes here so people can read it. But like, what is the, like expand on those kind of benefits of upgrading your, your cybersecurity posture and like why that's, you know, more important than ever? Well, part of the reason it's more important than ever, I'll start there, is the majority of the attacks or, or at least the attacks that you, you would hear about or care about are predominantly automated. And so, there, you know, there for years has been this sort of prevailing belief of, well, I'm a small company, nobody's coming after me. Or, or, you know, you see it at the consumer level too of, well, I don't really need to worry about security that much. You know, there's nothing on my computer. But the thing is, the attackers don't care because the attack is generally automated. It's not, it doesn't, it, it's not looking for something in particular, it's simply looking for a vulnerable endpoint that can be compromised. And to go back to the, you know, well, I don't have anything that they want to take. Maybe you don't, but your machine can still be encrypted with ransomware. And, and, and you might not have anything that the attacker wants to take, but you probably want access to your own stuff. So ransomware is going to, you know, to ruin your day one way or another. And then the other kind of, kind of like really hot attack and emerging attack is crypto mining and crypto jacking, which almost seems like a victimless crime to an extent because, you know, like the exploit, it installs on your PC and uses kind of your idle CPU cycles to try to you know, mine the internet for a uh, crypto coin, Bitcoin, whatever. And so it's, it's not, it's not necessarily doing something to your computer other than using resources that, you know, you're, you're kind of not, but it's still an issue. There are certainly reasons that an attacker will want to access your vulnerable systems, no matter what size your company is. The reason that, that then it's important to, you know, fight against that aside from not wanting the, the headache of say, you know, being compromised with ransomware is there is a consumer confidence and a 
reputational aspect to it. And, you know, I will step back and say, I've been a little bit shocked at how quickly and easily like Target and TJ Maxx and these companies that were targeted by the, you know, massive data breaches, how they were able to rebound. And when the dust settled, it basically had, you know, very little impact on sales or the bottom line, but you know, your small company is not Target and it's not TJ Maxx and, it, and, and doesn't have the resources to weather that kind of a storm. And so there's going to be a much more serious impact, whether you're, you know, you know, like I said, whether you're hit by ransomware, whether you're hit by any other kind of a data breach, a small company is going to really feel that and, and possibly be put out of business. And then most small companies, I mean, you know, like, if you're just a you know corner coffee shop, then you know that's your business, and you're just selling coffee to people and whatever. But the majority of the small companies out there are in the business of doing services and, and supplying things to larger companies. And if you want to do business with Target or General Motors or American Airlines or whatever, you have to have your security in place because they have a compliance mandate to maintain. They have, they have to maintain their security. And part of maintaining their security is making sure that they're only doing business with third-party companies that have their security in order. So if your security is not, not up to par, you're going to lose out on business opportunities. Yeah. And that's, you know, in the, in the article, you, you know, you showed the, the trust badges where you can show, you know, McAfee Secure or PayPal Verified or, you know, all those things. I mean, th those are really important if you're doing, you know, e-commerce e or you're selling from your website, all that sort of stuff. But it's just as important if you're working with big companies is, is what you're saying. Like those credentials and proving is really important to make sure that you like secure and win those type of deals, right? Absolutely. And like I said, it, it depends on who, you know, the industry you're in and who you're trying to do business with. I mean, I talked with a customer recently that's a very small company. I mean, the company itself is, I think, less than 10 employees. But because of the business they're in on the finance side, dealing with credit and dealing with lenders at a much larger scale than they are, they have to meet the PCI compliance standards at a much higher level than, you, than your normal 10-person company. Because if they don't, they can't do business with the banks and the credit card companies that they need to do business with. That's, yeah, that's super interesting. Any other, any other kind of final, kind of final thoughts on, on cybersecurity uh, or like high level stuff for, for 2019? I guess, you know, I already touched on the ransomware and the crypto jacking. I think, I guess two other quick points. One would be, I think we're going to see a shift away from endpoint security. I mean, there's always been this focus on, you know, antivirus and personal firewalls, and I need to protect my computer. But per the trend in the tax now is targeting IoT, and whether that's, you know, on the consumer level with like connected refrigerators or whatever is one thing, but the, the real target is like the industrial IoT and the controllers that are in like manufacturing facilities or controlling, you know, electrical production, you know, things like that. So industrial IoT, I think it's, it's the bigger attack on the horizon. And then the other is the rising concept of zero trust, because we've always had this idea of least privilege and, you know, like I shouldn't make everyone an admin on their own machine, because then if, if I get your credentials and you're logged in as an admin, I can do anything I want. But if you're just an end user, then I can't get to things. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but now 
it's real easy to do like a phishing attack at the consumer level, get your credentials, log into your company, you know, as you and do things and least privilege is a, is a good start, but we have to kind of take that to the next level and look at what are you doing? Like, uh, you know, yes, you logged into the network and you are, you had valid credentials. I know who you are, but why are you downloading, you know, the financial financial database or why are you logging in from Tel Aviv when you normally are logging in from Oakland, you know, those types of things. And, and, and it's having a, platform or having a uh, having the tools in place to constantly sort of monitor and check and continuously check not only who you are and whether you're authorized but what are you doing and why yeah that was really interesting i think one of the things that we are seeing is this like what as you discussed with the iot and the people being able to kind of like reimagine how they're hacking through devices we're working on a story right now at the mission about some cybersecurity stuff and these one of the crazy hacks that was through like a, uh, I think it was a bank's fish tank that those kind of things are are it's going to be the new normal uh, if if we don't increase our posture that and unless we're talking about two separate attacks it was not a bank it was a casino I believe that's right yeah yeah casino yep yeah and you're right they, they use like the like a connected like thermometer from inside the aquarium and we're able to like connect to the casino network from there. And, and so there's really interesting attack scenarios that happen there um, and just things you wouldn't really think of. I mean, when WannaCry was, was spreading, uh, the, the ransomware attack was, was spreading, there were connected like CT scanners in hospitals that were compromised and sending out and then were transmitting ransomware. You know, and so like I said, these, basically if it's connected to the internet, it can be compromised. Yeah, totally. And and that stuff is going to be everywhere, right? Like that's what we were talking about, like bring your own device to work day, right? It's like every day now, all of those devices are coming on your network all the time. So how do you govern that? How do you control that? And how do you eliminate the opportunities for, for threats there? Right, right. And like I said you know, earlier, like regardless of what you do, I mean, you can do a lot of things on the on the front side to try to like reduce the exposure and and try to like you know minimize the, the employees like kind of going rogue and doing their own thing but on the other side comprehensive visibility is absolutely crucial you have to have a you have to have some way of knowing everything that's on your network and have an accurate you know inventory of all of the devices and services that are connected at any given time all right let's get into our final questions the lightning round brought to you by our good friends at Salesforce and the Lightning Platform, these are fast and easy questions, just like the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Fast and easy. Just go to salesforce.com slash build apps. It's a great place and you can learn how to build apps faster. All right, number one, what app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? I think most of my fun is really just in, in Instagram. I'm just still trying to like, I, I want to I like Snapchat, but I don't. Favorite time-saving tool? Favorite time-saving tool I already alluded to. I think that would be uh, the Concur app for filing expenses. Favorite use of AI or chatbots you've seen recently? That one I don't really know. I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of like the auto-response chatbots on like Facebook and stuff like that. Um, I, I really like voice. I mean, it wasn't your question, but I really like uh, where we're going with Alexa and Cortana and whatever else and being able to interact with voice. Do you have a favorite podcast or recent book that you've uh, listened to or read? Well, let's see. Favorite, I had two favorite books this year. Uh, one, one was I, Ready Player One. 
awesome book. The movie did not do it justice. The other was uh, Artemis, which was uh, from uh, Dan Weir, who was the author of The Martian. And podcast, I like 99% Invisible. What about favorite one-day getaway in the Houston area? I'm going to go with Austin. I mean, I like Waco, too. And, and I mean, I think if you're, if you're not in Texas, I think most people associate Waco with uh, you know, David Koresh and the whole like, thing that went down with the F- FBI. But there's a lot of cool stuff in Waco. But Austin's uh, really the best place in Texas. Interesting how stuff like that happens, right? Where it's like you have a, a connotation of like one thing is, is the only thing that ever gets kind of remembered from those places. I have just been through Waco, but never, never stopped just driving through. Um, the uh, birthplace of, uh, I'm not sure if it's the birthplace, but the Museum of Dr. Pepper is there. So that's, that's uh, kind of cool. Uh, nice. But they've, uh, they're, there's a lot of cool stuff there. We've, we've gone there a couple of times recently as a family. They don't have all the, uh, what, 23 flavors, keeping that secret sealed? Yeah, yeah, they're not, they're not sharing that stuff. But uh, no, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a cool, it's a cool little city, but I'll take Austin over Waco. All right, final question. Do you have any, uh, any advice for uh, first-time CIO or CTO from uh, your insights over the years of uh, studying and writing about this stuff? I think my advice mostly would be listen, to go back to what I was saying earlier. It's you know, yes, your job is to manage it all and, and to have a vision and, and, and that's great. And, and ultimately you're going to be responsible for orchestrating all of that. But it's also important to make sure that you're, you're actually talking to and understanding the pain points of the people who are depending on that vision and make sure that you incorporate those things into it. So I think talking with the people who, like I said, your, your employees are your customers. So talk, talk with them and make sure that you incorporate what they have to say into that, into that larger vision. I love it. Thanks so much, Tony. Uh, anything we missed? No, I think that should about cover it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce, a leading cloud platform that makes building AI-powered apps faster and easier. With Salesforce, now everyone can build apps for their organization. Learn more at salesforce.com slash buildapps.